This morning we continue our series making today count. I have a feeling that even after our first service and even prior to coming into this morning, that this is the message that could send the trajectory of your life in the direction that God wants it to be in. If your hearts are open to receive God's word, then I believe that this message, not because I'm preaching it, but because the Bible says it, has the potential to give you what you need for where we're at in our world today. And what we need is to place our hope in Jesus alone and not in anything else. And when we place our hope in Jesus and put our faith in Jesus, then we are on firm ground. Webster's Dictionary defines the word hope this way. Listen to this. And this is how many people see hope. Hope as something we want to happen. So Webster's defines as hope is something that, like, I I hope it happens, like, there's a good chance, and if it does, I'm in good shape, but there's not a certainty to it. But biblical hope is defined this way. Godly hope is something you are very sure about that just hasn't happened yet. There's a difference. Because it will happen. And we can place our hope in it and not go to Webster's and say, well, I hope that it might. It, it, it will happen. God is good on his word. And here's what we know. Jesus is coming and he can't be stopped. And no matter where you think you are, no matter how desperate it looks and bleak it might look, Jesus rules the world. And boy, do we need to shout that to ourselves a little bit these days. But there was a time in history, five, 6,000 years ago, when it was so dark and it was so bleak and it seemed hopeless to the people that were alive that people even wondered if God even existed. Grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three. And we're gonna read verses 21 to 24. Genesis 3, 21 to 24. And as you go there, I'm gonna just give you a little context. Adam and Eve have just sinned. Genesis 3 is the fall of man. But as they sin, they're now about to be ushered out of the garden. And after this sin, they can no longer stay there. So we find ourselves, really, this is a dark, doom and gloom time if man was looking at it with the eyes of man. But in the midst of this darkness, watch what happens. Stand with me and we'll read this out loud together. Genesis 3 Verses 21 to 24, would you read it with me out loud? Ready, read. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. You may have a seat. It seems desperate. It seems like it's over. It appears that Satan has won. It appears like the plan of God to put a man and a woman in the garden that would procreate and then from them would come people who would chase after him and be his children. But something happened in the garden, they sinned, and after they sinned, they're banished from the garden. And if you and I were to look at it with with the eyes of humans, you would say, well, it's over. 
If God's not letting them be back in the garden, what's the purpose of mankind? But the truth is that the fact that God banished them from the garden, he pushed them out, and when he stood his angels to guard the way to the garden so they couldn't get back in, it was an act of grace. And you're saying, how can that be an act of grace if he banished them and kicked them out? Because here's what he knew. Had they went back in that garden and eaten from the tree of life, they would have been locked into the eternal state of sin forever. Never to be redeemed. This was the first act of grace that we see in scripture where God said, no, I'm going to shove you out and there is still a plan in motion and it's called Jesus Christ and one day man will be rescued and not locked into the eternal state of sin forever and Jesus will come and he will die on the cross and through his blood shed on the cross and the free gift of salvation, we have the opportunity to be saved and rescued. You see, God is good on his word and you can trust him with your life too. But it's a very dark time because as we know, Adam and Eve have sinned. They're banished from the garden and it didn't appear like any rescue attempt was taking place. So man tries to do something on his own to rescue himself. Look at Genesis chapter six and follow along with me. Genesis chapter six, here's how dark, here's how bleak, this is what the world condition was. Genesis chapter six and verse five and seven, it says the Lord God, or the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only what? What's your Bible say? Evil. And how often was it? What's it say? All the time. So picture, as God looked down on earth, every inclination, every thought of the mind and hearts of man, all the time, every thought was evil. This is what God created. It had human beings, and now it had turned so dark, so ugly, that every inclination and thought of their minds was on evil. Then it says this in verse six, the Lord did what? What's the next word? Regret, come on, help me, follow on, come on, follow on, you got Bibles, six, six, the Lord, what? What's it say? Regret it, that he had made what? What, what's it say? Human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply what? What's your Bible say? Troubled. God's heart was troubled because all he saw was doom and gloom and sin and evil and, and he regrets what he had done, creating humankind and giving humankind a chance to live on planet earth. So verse seven says this. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. Just pause, think about that. The Lord said, I will wipe from the earth, the human race that I've created. That's how desperate, that's how evil, and and from that, if we jump into the middle of that, it's a dark, doom and gloom, sinful, evil time. How in the world can a rescuer ever come from that? And so he says, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret, for I regret, God said, for I regret that I have made them. Made who? Human beings. 
But verse eight says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I love how hope emerges in the midst of the darkest time. And this time it was in a person. And his name was Noah. God regretted. God says, I don't even know why I created people. I don't even know why they're on earth. Every inclination of the heart is evil and there's just no good. And it, but hope emerges from a man who is faithful and his name's Noah. But Noah found favor. Why? Because there was one faithful man on earth. Watch what happens next. And so it says in verse nine, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time and he walked faithfully with God when no one else was, I will add. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. It's a horrible doom and gloom time. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. I mean, how much more, what other words do we need to say? It is a dark time. Verse 13, it says this. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress, wood, Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. So he gives them the dimensions of how big the ark is and then it says here's why he wants him to create an ark. Look at verse 18. It says, but I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of every living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten. So not only is he getting animals, he's got to find every kind of food and store it away as food for you and for them. In verse 22, it says this, Noah did what? What's your Bible say? Everything just as God commanded him. There's a promise that emerges from the middle of this bleak, doom and gloom, violent field, evil, every inclination of people's minds was to do evil, that, and it comes through a man who was faithful to God, and God says, through you, I will establish a covenant, and Jesus is coming, and he can't be stopped. The Redeemer will come. It says that Noah did everything that God commanded him to do. Seriously, stop and consider this thought for a moment, if you can, with fresh eyes today. There, they were in the middle of a desert far away from any body of water. In fact, there was no marinas nearby. <laughs> there were no marinas. There wasn't a Wabasee boat company. There were no channels that showed him how to use boats. He couldn't go to, to the, the, the Garden of Eden dictionary and say how to build a boat. He couldn't YouTube and say, this is how you build an ark that's big as a football field. And not only build this, how in the world do you get it to a body of water when the bodies of waters were hundreds of miles away? <laughs> Why in the world did he even believe when he heard from God? that he wanted him to build an ark because he trusted God even though he couldn't see it with his own eyes. He had placed his hope and faith in God. I love this plan too because it goes outside the normal operating procedure to rescue someone. 
Imagine for a second Satan began to rethink his strategy. By the way, here's what we know. Satan is not omniscient and he, or omniscient, he, omniscient and he can't see the future. So the truth is this, that, that while we sometimes think Satan knows what's going to happen next, Satan had no clue what was going to happen next, but he saw that in every inclination of mankind, and he knew that, that now, after it was spoken, and he began to see Noah building this ark, he began to concoct this, I thought, well, why is he building this ark? And I'm sure because he, he, he's a smart enemy, and he, he knows what we do and he is scheming. He realized there's an ark that's going to be built and this family is the only faithful family and the sons, and they're going to go on this boat. I got to stop this. I imagine Satan laughed at Noah's attempts because he knew how difficult it was. We have a rough idea from scripture how long it took him to build this too. It says in Genesis 5.32, he was 500. It says in Genesis 7, 6 that Noah was 600 when he entered the ark. So 100 years of his life. Most scholars think that the actual building took 75 to 100 years. Stop and consider this, how much ridicule they must have experienced. Imagine for a second, if it had never rained on planet Earth and it hadn't, think about this for a second, and this, this crazy guy who calls himself a God follower, Christ follower, Yahweh follower, Jehovah follower during this time, imagine he begins to build this ark and people come by and say, why are you building an ark big, the size of a football field? Because there's gonna be a flood and it's gonna rain so much and my family's gonna float away in the water. Are you kidding me? Imagine as the tour buses came by, they didn't go to Kentucky, they went to Noah's front yard and said, look at this guy here, he's building an ark and there's not even water, it's 100 miles away, this guy's a lunatic. Imagine as he, he went to the lumber yards and kept them all in stock and Home Depot and Menards, like they didn't have any other clients, they just needed Noah because he was building a football size ark and they've just, they would load it off and dump it and, and the manager would say, dump it off, we make money off of him and day after day the lumber came, 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 came and he just continued to build, build, build and the ridicule and the mockery and the laughter, imagine the sons as they went out into the community, there's that family, they're a bunch of crazy lunatics, they believe the God's going to come back and flood the whole earth but they remain steadfast. Imagine the conversations with Noah's wife and Noah. You know those conversations you have at night, maybe you're rolling into bed and you look over to your spouse and you begin to recoup the day and debrief. And Anne, we have those moments all through the day, but often at night we do. And you look over and you say, hey, what do you think about this? Imagine your wife looking at you and say, Noah, <laughs> baby, <laughs> are you sure you heard from God? <laughs> like, we're building a boat? And imagine somewhere, her, him looking back and saying, I know I heard from God. Okay, baby, I've, I've, I've followed you on some crazy things, but I'm gonna let you know before this all happens, this is nuts. <laughs> Can you imagine the conversation? They're real people. They aren't just some super spiritual people that somehow had something different that we have. They had regular conversations. They were married people. They had children. Imagine the sons that they're out there after a while. It's like, Dad, we've been doing this for 100 years and it still hasn't rained. Are you sure? There was a part of me that says that Satan just capitalized on this moment. We know he did. Just like he does for us. Feed us these doubts. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Well, where's the water? Where's the water? You're looking really stupid right now. You see, when you and I have a high view of God, the crisis will not own you because you know God has the last word on the crisis. 
this wasn't an easy time for Noah. And no doubt that he lost any friends that he had. Plus, it was a dark, sinful time. And by the way, there weren't worship services that they went to every week and, and they could gather and say, let's worship God. Oh, oh, let's get together in our small group. Oh, let's get together in this Bible study. Let, 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 let's go to, a, let's go to a, 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 a Christian concert and worship God. There weren't any worship services going on during this time. So they just couldn't roll into Grace Community Church and say, let's worship God and get what they, we would say, our, 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 our energy to go on and, and our power that comes in the gathering together. They didn't even have that. It rains on the earth and the earth is flooded and Satan realizes, uh-oh, <laughs> I have a battle on my hand. A little sidebar, I wonder what kind of temptations and testings that the enemy brought Noah while he was on the ark. So the flood comes, and look what happens in Genesis chapter three, and all of a sudden it seems like now the, the, we needed this boat, the promise continues. And in Genesis chapter nine, look what it says in one and three, then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky and every creature that moves along the ground and on the fish in the sea that are given into your hands. And then God says, everything that lives, moves about will be food for you just as I gave you green plants. I now give you everything. And then in the midst of all this, it says in verse 12, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my what in the clouds? What's the word? Rainbow. And it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. And every time I see a rainbow, I say this, Jesus is coming and he can't be stopped. But let me encourage you with these words, don't settle for the rainbow, but cling to the God who created the rainbow. All through this, Noah did not fear. He just trusted God and his word that he would do what he said he would. The same promise continues today, even though great obstacles befall us. We must believe. Jesus, God made a promise that he was coming in. He can't be stopped. He made a covenant. He says, I won't wipe out mankind. I'm still coming to rescue you. And this rescue attempt now continues, even though he wiped out mankind besides Noah. And the promise in the rainbows is I'll never cover the flood or the, the whole earth again with water. And so Noah trusted in God. When Isaiah was small, he'll be 22 now in April. He's a senior at Grace College. But when he was small, he would often say this phrase to me, and it was so endearing. He'd be in conversation and telling someone something when he was three or four years old or five years old, and he would tell them this, and maybe he was telling about Jesus, and he would look at me and he would say, right, Dad? And I would say, right, Isaiah. And so I, I can't tell you, thousands of times this conversation, he would be saying something about a team or about something happened this day, and he'd look at me and say, right, Dad? And I would say, right, Isaiah. And if somehow, if I believed it was right, then 
what he had was true, and he believed and trusted in my lead because he knew that somehow in his small little mind that father knew what was best or, or dad knew what was right, and so he would agree, we'd have this agree, and I can tell you hundreds of times, thousands of times, right? And I say, right, I say, it's the same with us. When we read something or see something, we look to God and we say, right, God? And he looks down and he says, right, Jimmy. Can we trust you, God? Yes, you can trust me, Jimmy. And every time I read God's word, can I trust in the promises of God? Right, God? I can trust in your promises. Right, Jimmy. And Noah believed in this moment that God had set a promise in place and a covenant that he would send a redeemer. And even though the earth was flooded, even it was going down to his family, that somehow from all of that, right, God? Right, Noah. That same promise continues today even though great obstacles might befall us but you know what man did now so this takes place imagine having this story imagine as this story began to circulate amongst mankind there was this great flood and they built this big boat and only this one family with sons and their wives and and it started all over but before that there were a lot of people imagine being like Three weeks away and six weeks and then, 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 then they started having children and children and a year and two years and 20 and 30 and 40 years removed and the story begins to, to perpetuate itself and they weren't far away from this great, great thing that God had provided. Yet man began to do what they always do. They tried to get there on their own to God instead of letting him come to us. Genesis chapter 11, look at verses one to four. It says, now the whole earth had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for what? What's it say? Ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered on the face of the whole earth. Do it ourselves. Like we, we can find it. We can get to God on our own. Let's build self-made men, self-made women. We'll build a skyscraper bigger than, than the Empire State Building and the Twin Tower. We'll build it ourselves. We'll get to God on our own. We don't need a God who, who built an ark and, and flooded the earth and, and provided. We can get to God on our own. And every inclination of the man was evil on the earth. You see, the enemy had duped his evil powers upon mankind again. You don't need a rescuer, rescue yourself. Yet my Bible and your Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, no eye has seen nor ear has heard and no human mind has conceived what God has prepared in advance for his children. But God loved them too much to let that happen. Seriously, he could have wiped them all out again. Wasn't the garden and the flood enough for him? Didn't he say, I regret it? Couldn't he say, don't you ever listen? I have a plan and Jesus is coming. And once again, a huge dose of grace is about to unpack on the scene. Instead, he intervenes and stops this runaway train skyscraper to the sky while Satan is laughing his head off. And by the way, let me just say this. 
there's no doubt in my mind that Satan didn't oppose this building at all. In fact, I'm sure he assisted in this building because in his mind, people were trying to be God (laughs) and not worship God. Satan only opposes things that carry the badge of godliness. I have people ask me a lot, why is my marriage so hard? And they'll say like this, why is it so hard to read God's word every day? Why is it, why is it that, I, that I fear and I fret when I know my coworkers don't know Jesus, but I haven't shared Jesus with them the whole time I've worked there? In fact, they don't even know I'm a Christian. Why is there, I can talk about basketball. I can talk about fishing. I, I, I can talk about marriage. I can talk about the weather. I can talk about my football team. I can talk about RVs. I could sell cars. I can, I can sell art. I can sell music. I could play. I can talk about, why is it that's so easy to talk about all those things? But when it comes to Jesus, it's hard. Why is it so hard to read God? I can read the Goshen News every single day from cover to cover. Why? It's because when you pick up the Goshen News, Satan doesn't care if you read that. He's not going to oppose you. And when you talk about sports, Satan doesn't care about that. Talk about all the sports you want because he knows that takes time away from talking about Jesus. But the moment you begin to talk about Jesus, you are opposed. Why? Because he wants to destroy your marriages. He wants to destroy your homes. And he knows if you fill yourself up with God's word, you are a force that will run to the front lines of the gates of hell and the power of Jesus. And it makes him afraid. That's why. So hear me out. If fear wants to develop or you feel that, stand up and walk in the power of Jesus and say, in your face, I stuck it to Satan again. And boy, do I love sticking it to Satan. So it says in verse five, after this tower was built, look what happens. God looks down in verse five, says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. By the way, let me insert some commentary. Not a good day for the enemy when Jesus comes and expects the scene and is an inspector of the scene. (laughs) The building inspector has showed up and he's about to put ceased to work permit on this building. Verse six says, and the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So God says, come, let us go down and confuse their language. By the way, pause, this is important. Let us, the word us. This is so important in the Hebrew. Come, let us come down. It's third masculine plural. It's three MP in the language, which means three people, masculine gender, plural in number. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are about to show up, and they're going to knock down this building plan. By the way, that deserves an amen. So he says... Come, let us, the three in one, go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city, the skyscraper. That is why it's called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. One morning it was business as usual and one morning one of them would come up and say, hey Richard, Tobe, Lila. And you look at me and say, Pastor Jim, well, what? That means good morning in Hebrew. 
Yov Bakov. Very good. And so they began to speak all these languages. The, 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 the job superintendent was giving out, he was talking another language. This guy knew this language. They're all like, no one understood him. God just showed up. He wrecked their plans and he separated and ceased to build. Red stop sign was placed on this because God is coming and he can't be stopped. You see the people, the tower, they knew They thought the Tower of Babel was their mission to get to God, but the Tower of Babel is a symbol of hope to us. It reminds us that God cannot be stopped on his rescue mission for us. The people didn't need a staircase. They needed a rescuer called Jesus Christ. The answer to everything, even in our world today, is Jesus. This remains true even today. He will always come through on his word. So we're seeing they tried to stop in the garden. We see him banished out. We, we see a flood. And it's like, is God going to come through? Is God come? Now they're trying to get to God. Man's trying to be self-made and work to God. They tried to wreck it there. And now, like, somehow this, this redeemer's got to come. How can he? Like, there's chaos. But God now says this. Look at Genesis chapter 17. Jesus is coming and he can't be stopped. Genesis chapter 17, I love the book of Genesis. Just this picture of God and man failing and trying to stop and the enemy stepping in. In Genesis 17 verse 15, it says this. God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. It says, Abraham fell down, face down. He laughed and said to himself, will son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at Greencroft at the age of 90? Is that possible? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under this blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear a son and you will call him Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants. Why didn't God just grab Ken and Barbie and say, here, go have a baby? Why did he choose a couple from the rehabilitation home? Why did he knock on the door and at breakfast when Abraham and Sarah walked down for breakfast and they were gathered around with all their beautiful friends who were aged like them and Sarah says, Betty, I got some good news. I'm having a baby. Come on, can you imagine that conversation? Like, we're doctor? <laughs> Why? Because God wants to show us that what seems impossible for man, God can do. He could have picked Ken and Barbie. He could have picked a young couple, a vital couple, a young, vibrant couple that were young and they, they could pump out a lot of babies because of their youth, but he wanted to show us that God can come through an impossible situations. So he tells Abraham that your great, great, great grandchild will be the promised one, the rescuer. God also knew that this rescue would only work if Abraham trusted him. So he gives him a chance, just like he gave Noah a chance to prove his faith. Up to this point in history, a way to prove your love 
was an animal sacrifice to God. Now, God is about to ask him for more than that. Look at Genesis chapter 22. Look at the plan. Let's see, God is coming and he can't be stopped. Genesis chapter 22, it says, chapter verse one, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Sounds like John three sixteen. your one and only son. Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, and I will show that I will show you. So, imagine. Look, seriously. The only sacrifices during this time were, were animal sacrifices. There hadn't been any resurrections. There hadn't been any human, godly sacrifices. There were evil sacrifices. But imagine. Okay, God, what's your plan? I'm so grateful that's, that my wife is pregnant. We got a cute little guy named Isaac. We call him Ike. And Ike, we love Ike. And I'm so excited that through the nations we'll be blessed. What's your plan now? How are you going to preserve his life? Because we're old. We're going to die soon. He says, well, here's, God says, here's my plan. Kill him. What? But because of his faith in his God, what does he do? Look at verse three. Look what it says. Early. The next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, it says Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He gets up the next day. Some people say he got up early. You bet he got up early because he didn't sleep that night. Because he was sitting with Sarah and Sarah and saying, hey, did you hear from God today? What's the plan for Ike? Well, here's the plan, baby. Tomorrow morning, I'll kill him. And God said, we should sacrifice him. And her saying, well, how will the rescuer come through the line of Ike and Isaac if he's dead? I'm not sure, but this is what God wants us to do. Can you imagine his wife saying, baby, are you sure you heard from God or was that bad pizza? Come on, we need to pray. And there's no doubt in my mind they got down and they prayed together. Watch what unpacks next. Look at verse four. Verse four says, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance because they gathered the wood. He got enough wood and, and, and he set out for the place. In verse five, he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I go over there. We will, that's Isaac and I, will worship and then we will, what, what, what's, how's it close? Will what? Come back to you. Wait a minute. How are you gonna come back if you're sacrificing? Somehow, some way, because of faith in God, Abraham believed that even if he followed through with God's plan to sacrifice his son, that somehow his son would live. Let me also say, there had never been a resurrection ever up to this point in history recorded. He had nothing to base his evidence on, but he said, we will return to you. Friends, that's called faith and hope. Read on, look what happens next. In verse five, six, it says this, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he carried, him, carried himself, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. 
Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And then it says this, friends, I don't understand this. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. We know from time frames that Isaac was probably 12 to 13 years old. Abraham was 112, 113 years old. And the last time I checked, a 12 and a 13-year-old could whoop a 112-year-old man. And the last time I checked, a 12-year-old boy could outrun his dad who's 112. But something about the son had happened in those 12 years of life where his dad had said, Isaac, no matter what, trust in God. Isaac, trust in God even when it makes no sense. Isaac, there is a plan on your life and the Redeemer is coming through you. Isaac, I have my ear towards heaven and when God tells me to do something, I do it. And then something happened from father to son in such a way that this son believed in his daddy. Right, daddy? Right, Isaac. Something was transferred in 12 to 13 years that every father must transfer to his son and daughters. Faith. And how does that happen? By living out your faith in such a way when those unthinkable So it says he ties up his arms and there's no doubt in my mind that that Isaac himself helped get up on that altar himself. And it says in the text that Abraham drew his knife. Can you imagine the look of the son? Dad, are you sure? I trust you. Dad, are you sure? I trust you. Dad, did you hear from God? I trust you. Right, Right, dad? Right, dad? An incredible moment between a father and son in faith And it says, when he began to bring the knife down, the text says, there was a sound in the thicket and God spoke, Abraham, I see that you trust me. And he provided a ram for him. Verse 17 gives us this picture. After this all happens, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore, Abraham. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities and their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have what? What's it say? Obeyed me. Can we just pull away and jump in there and say, come on. Thank you, Abraham. Thank you, Isaac. Thank you. Because we are blessed because of your faith too. Amen? Many years later, another son would carry wood on his back. Like Isaac, he would trust in his father. And do what his father asked him to do. 
He wouldn't struggle or run from Calvary. In fact, he could have obliterated everybody. Yet he chose to carry the cross on the Via Della Rosa up to a hill because he knew that the plan for us to be rescued was for him to die on a cross as the sacrifice for all of mankind. And he had that moment with his father in the garden. And his moment in the garden was, right dad, right Jesus. And because of the faith and the love of our Savior, Jesus continues to come and he can't be stopped. Can you see the picture? That's how much Jesus loves us. When every thought and inclination of the mind was set on evil, God kept providing a plan. And when our world is turned upside down and it feels like every evil inclination and thought of man is on evil, God has a plan and his name is Jesus and he's coming and he can't be stopped. Oh Lord, help us to place hope in the Savior. From the beginning of time, the enemy is trying to derail and make people live in fear and fret and worry. But God, you just continue to be good on your promise. And we can look to you and say, right, Dad? And you say, right, Jimmy. I'm coming and I can't be stopped. And there is hope in Jesus Christ. Oh God, give us that kind of hope where we are certain that something will happen, but it just hasn't happened yet, but it will. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.